And the passage is in the book of Genesis, chapter 41, reading from verse 14 through to 32. <clears throat> Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. <clears throat> so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Thanks, Alistair. So tonight we're going to be just thinking a little bit about uh, this passage that Alistair just read for us. Uh, and we're going to be thinking about waiting. So Dave was joking about me dancing. Uh, but I was thinking this afternoon about waiting and how we all wait at a bus stop. Who spends half their life in Edinburgh waiting at bus stops? Uh, yeah, we do. actually, we have a really good bus service. We can't complain. But I grew up in Yorkshire and uh, we didn't have as good a bus uh, service where I live. But every day I had to catch the bus. Uh, to school and often I'd be stood at the bus stop for like 20 minutes because the bus had promised it was going to be there not personally promised to me but you know according to the schedule and uh, and so to pass the time waiting uh, for the bus I used to tap dance at the bus stop uh, to sort of kill the time waiting so you don't know Dave I might start practicing again I might do a little tap dance uh, at the Cayley I could I'll give you a little uh, dance later but I wonder what waiting makes you think of 
Uh, it might be standing at a bus stop, or it might be uh, what it was like for you as a child uh, when you were waiting for Christmas or waiting uh, for your birthday. I, rem- I wonder if you remember those times, that sense of excitement and anticipation as the day got nearer. I, I, was, I-, I wasn't as bad as my brother, actually, at waiting, uh, but I did once uh, go to the Christmas tree uh, when my mum was out. So I was probably about 10. I've got an older brother, so he was looking after me, and I peeled back the corner of most of the presents under the tree that had my name on it and had a little look. Because you know, you normally have a little feel and a shake. Um, but I just thought, I'm going to have a look. And I was really disappointed because somebody had bought me police Lego. And I was, I was a real girly girl and I was disappointed with my police Lego. But that sense of excitement, that sense of anticipation and counting down the days when you're waiting for something. Waiting. I wonder if you're waiting for something now. Maybe you've got a sense of excitement and anticipation of what's coming up next. But I think that actually a lot of our waiting can be really hard and it can be really tough. It's not always easy waiting, is it? Some of us can be in a time of waiting at the moment and think, what on earth is going on? God, why are you letting me go through this time? Why haven't you answered my prayer? Waiting can be really difficult. And Joseph knew what it was like to wait, to be in a time of waiting, wondering if his situation was ever going to change. Up to the point where we meet him today, uh, Joseph's life has firstly uh, been marked by favor and adoration. We all know the story of how much Jacob, Joseph's father, loves him and gave him this ornate gown to wear to demonstrate his love and how he was the favorite child. But then we also know that the story doesn't stop there. And Joseph went on to suffer and be rejected and to be enslaved and abandoned and undergo false accusation and then waiting, waiting for his situation to change, waiting for somebody to notice him, waiting for somebody actually to free him, waiting for God to do something. And during his time of waiting, he probably felt like God had abandoned him. He probably felt like, where are you, God? Why haven't you changed my situation? But all the time, God was in the waiting. God was at work in his life. God hadn't abandoned him. God was in the waiting. And so a few years before we get to the events uh, that we just heard Alistair read about in chapter uh, 41 of Genesis, Joseph finds himself imprisoned by Potiphar after some pretty grim false accusations uh, by Potiphar's wife. And he finds himself in this uh, horrible prison uh, with uh, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the Pharaoh's uh, chief baker. And one night they both have really disturbing dreams. Uh, And Joseph, they come to Joseph confused and disturbed by these dreams that they've had. And Joseph is able to interpret their dreams for them. And as a result of his interpretation, uh, the cupbearer is released two days later. 
and the chief baker uh, comes to a more grisly end. But the cupbearer is released. And as he is, is, uh, Joseph tells him he's to be released, he says to him, when you're free, remember me. When you're free, remember me. Remember to tell Pharaoh about me. Uh, tell him about how I've been wrongly imprisoned. But once the cupbearer is free, Joseph is forgotten. And Joseph goes on to spend another two years in jail. And that's where we get to at the beginning of chapter 41. And he sat in jail knowing this man who could have brought about his release hasn't helped him, has forgotten him, hasn't remembered him. Two more years of nothing, life on hold, abandoned again, sat in this grim, dark, desperate dungeon, waiting. Maybe you or somebody close to you is waiting now. Maybe you're waiting for a diagnosis. Maybe you're waiting for a change in your situation. Maybe you're waiting for your health or the health of somebody close to you to improve. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship or something to change in a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for a baby. And you're struggling to find any hope in the darkness and the endlessness of your situation. And you might feel some of the feelings that I'm sure Joseph felt while he was waiting in that dungeon, helpless, scared, abandoned. Will his situation ever change? Nelson Mandela, we all know about him. He was famously imprisoned uh, as a political prisoner in uh, the apartheid right regime in South Africa. Uh, and when he was sentenced uh, and sent to prison, his sentence was indefinite. He had no release date. If you can imagine what that must have felt like for him. And he went on to spend 27 years imprisoned. And 18 of those years were in the notorious Robben Island, in a small cell that measured 2.4 meters by 2.1 meters. And every day he was sent to work in a limestone quarry, uh, where he, alongside other prisoners, had endless, mindless tasks to do. Sometimes they would just have to pick up rocks and take them from one side of the quarry to the other and back again day after day after day in the soaring heat. Other times, like the picture we've got on the screen there, they'd be sat in a yard with a stone and just have to chip at it all day uh, to create some gravel. And Nelson Mandela faced uh, incredible hardship that most of us couldn't even imagine what it would be like. Pointless waiting. But during that time, he talks about how he learned so much. He was educated. He was refined. So that when he was released, uh, Nelson Mandela came out of prison, a different man from the man that went in. And he came out as a man who was ready to lead his country to freedom. <clears throat> he came out as a man who was filled with wisdom and grace and dignity in a way that he never was before. So during those years of suffering, of waiting, and no doubt hopelessness, Mandela was being refined. 
He was refined like gold. I wonder if you've got a piece of gold jewelry. Maybe you've got something on. I've got a gold ring that was my mum's. Uh, you might have a ring or a necklace or a pair of earrings or something like that. Just think about that gold and where it came from. To get the gold to the point where it is a beautiful piece of jewelry, it's a long and arduous process. Uh, the gold has to firstly be discovered and then it has to be mined and brought out of the ground. Uh, the ore is then refined through a really intensive series of processes. Uh, and then it becomes pure gold and then it has to go through another load of processes to be made into the beautiful pieces of jewelry and other decorative items that we use it for. It's a long and painful and arduous process. Gold as we receive it, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come out of the ground as a lovely ring. But it's a process that takes time and pain and effort and care. And the end result is beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful piece of jewelry. But it comes through the waiting. So back to the story of Joseph. The cupbearer is released from prison. Uh, and Joseph waits, as we've heard, for another two years uh, in jail. Two years of waiting and wasting time. And then we get to where our reading started in Genesis chapter 41 in, in verse 14. And this is where suddenly Joseph's situation begins to change. We see that those two years, all that time of waiting hasn't been wasted. God has been refining Joseph in the waiting. So Pharaoh, we've heard, has had a series of disturbing dreams. Uh, he calls in his magicians and wise men at the beginning of chapter 41. And these are the intelligent and wise people of the land. They're not people who do like card tricks on uh, Saturday night TV. They're the wise people of the land. Uh, these are the people who Pharaoh trusts to help him in his situation. And they wrestle to try and work out what on earth these weird and strange dreams about cows and corn are all about. But they're unable to help him. They don't know what they're all about. And then the long-lost cupbearer comes into the scene and suddenly he remembers Joseph again. That guy that he met in prison that, that, that interpreted his dream for him. And he says to, to Pharaoh, maybe this guy, this guy Joseph, who I met in prison all those years ago, might be able to help you, Pharaoh. And so Joseph is brought out of prison. He's brought literally from the dungeon into a palace. He's brought from darkness into light. And he it, it describes how he washes his clothes, he puts on nice clean clothes and he has a shave as well maybe I think the pharaoh was offended by his facial hair as I am by lots of facial hair as well and he's presented uh, to pharaoh and pharaoh says to him verse 15 I had a dream and no one can interpret it but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream you can interpret it he thinks that Joseph has got the answer. And this is the moment where we see the effect of those years of languishing in a prison. What effect have those years had on Joseph? Is he still the Joseph of Genesis 37, the sort of arrogant, youngest, favored son, wanting to be the center of attention, daddy's favorite child? 
Has he built up a, a wall of bitterness and hatred towards the cupbearer, towards Potiphar, who, who have left him in prison all these years? This is his moment of revenge. This is where he's going to drop them in it. Or is he thinking, this is my moment? This is where everyone's going to just see how great I am at interpreting dreams. I wonder how often when we're in the dungeons, when we're in the pits, when we're in the darkness of life, when we're waiting for change, we lean on God, as I'm sure Joseph did when he was in the dungeon, and we bargain with him, and we say to him things like, you know, God, if you answer my prayer, I will like serve you forever. I'm going to tell everybody at work about you if you answer my prayer. Or I'm never going to do that thing, that sin that I do all the time. I'm never going to do that ever again if you change this situation for me. I'll be like the best Christian ever. I'll live my life for you and I'll tell everybody about you. And then we find ourselves being brought out of our own version of the dungeon into the palace from darkness into light. And we're so chuffed with the change in our situation that we get all carried away and we forget everything and we forget to give God the glory. But when Joseph comes into the palace and Pharaoh asks if he can interpret this disturbing dream he's had, what does Joseph say? He says this, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He says, I can't do it. I'm just Joseph. But God can do it. Instead of highlighting himself and his own gifts and his own talents, he just points to the power of God. You see, something's happened in Joseph in those two years of waiting. I think God met with Joseph in a really deep way while he was in prison. God has been refining Joseph, and he's learned to trust in the Lord. He's learned to trust in the Lord with all his heart, not to lean on his own understanding, but on God, and God will make his path straight. Because that arrogant, egotistical Joseph who was thrown into prison isn't the one who comes out. We see in Joseph a new depth of wisdom, a new depth of understanding of who God is. Isn't that so true in our lives? When everything is stripped away, when we can't solve a problem in our own strength, when we feel helpless and we reach out and cry help to God and we wrestle and we shout at God and we ask why and we question everything and we wonder if he really does love us like he says he does or even if he's still there. We wonder in those moments if he has completely abandoned us in the pain that we're in. And when we throw ourselves on him and then we find deep truths about him and we learn to trust in him and we say, well, why should I trust in you when it feels like you're not answering my my situation, you're not changing the situation I'm in. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and it's not easy. But there's something that happens in us during that time. We're being refined. And Pharaoh then gives a rundown of his dream to Joseph. And Joseph, again, just points out God's involvement to Pharaoh. Verse 25, he says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then in case Pharaoh hasn't understood, he says again, verse 28, God 
has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 32, he clarifies it again. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been decided firmly by God. Joseph is making it very clear to Pharaoh that God has decided this. And so however Pharaoh chooses to respond now to what Joseph has shared, this is what's going to happen anyway because God is all over this. This is not about Joseph. This is not about Pharaoh. God is all over it. There are going to be seven years of plenty and then there are going to be seven years of famine. This isn't me making it up, he's saying. God is over this. And so Joseph leaves things perfectly clear. I can't interpret your dream. I'm just God's messenger. God has told me what he's saying to you and God is in this and God will do it. Joseph's words are bold and they're confident. God has done something in him in the waiting. God, Joseph now puts his trust completely in God. God has met with Joseph in a powerful way and changed Joseph through the waiting. Remember Joseph at the beginning, he was accused, abandoned, enslaved and abused. He was a broken man, but God hadn't forgotten him. God was faithful to him. And during the waiting, Joseph is refined like gold, and he gives God the glory. Isaiah 40 says this, verse 31, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When I was preparing this sermon uh, and reading this passage in preparation, uh, I just kept thinking about uh, Jess here. And I'm going to ask Jess to come up and uh, share some of her story uh, of the last couple of years. Uh, maybe you just grab that microphone, Jess. Uh, if you don't know Jess, uh, uh, Jess has been working for the church for the last six months as finance administrator. She finished on Thursday. Before that, she was an intern with us for a couple of years as well, um, and she's part of our church. So Jess, can you just tell us of a time when you uh, found yourself waiting? Yes, um, the last two years for me have been particularly difficult as I've really struggled with my mental health and found myself in that season of waiting. For about six or seven years, I probably struggled on and off with depression, anxiety and OCD, but two years ago, that all kind of culminated in me developing and then being diagnosed with anorexia. Um, so what, what happened? What was it like in that time? Yeah, um, so it kind of happened slowly and quickly at the same time. As I said, it was the culmination of lots of little things over a long time, but particularly I had a really difficult week one week where lots of, lots of difficult conversations, lots of people were kind of questioning my future and my life. And at the same time, I was writing a sermon um, and I woke up on the Sunday morning kind of physically and emotionally exhausted with an infection on my back. And um, this skin infection nearly led me to go into sepsis. And I was at the doctor's 11 times in three weeks for antibiotics and different dressing changes. Um, there are people in this room who have driven me to those doctor's appointments. Um, and so I felt like my whole body 
and my life were all out of control and the mathematician in me decided to control the one thing I thought I could, which was numbers. Mm -hmm. And I started meticulously calculating the steps I was taking in a day, the calories I was putting into my body, the calories I was burning. Um, and before long, I'd lost about a quarter of my total body weight. Um, and in this time, I kept finding myself praying over and over and over again to God, just show me what to do. Just show me what to do and I'll do it. If you, I don't care how hard it is, give me a to-do list. I'll do it, I'll do it. And find myself bargaining as well, saying, I will never ask you for anything else, God, if I wake up tomorrow back to normal and feel healthy again. Um, and so it's felt like I have been kind of in that or was in that season of waiting for a really long time. So um, what metaphorically brought you from that sort of really dark place that you were in for quite some time into the light, if you like? Mm -hmm. That process for me is one that has been a really slow process. And gradually, I've seen God answer really small prayers. And it's in really little steps that I have seen myself get better. I've seen God in helping me to stay on the bus the whole way. Um, I've seen God in helping me to be less scared of eating breakfast. Um, and I've had all of these small steps, which have led me to be able to be a bit more um, honest about my journey. Um, in, I think it was September, I wrote a blog post, which I put out there and I hoped no one would read, but a lot of people did. And that was a, a kind of helpful moment for me in owning my story and showing where God was, even though I was still in the midst of it. Um, what a lot of people who know that part of the story don't know is that in March, I very nearly relapsed. I was kind of right on the edge of things going back downhill. Um, but the difference was I'd taken those steps already. I knew what I needed to do to stay on track and had great help and support around me. And um, there was a weekend in May where something just changed. I kind of describe it like I was doing a jigsaw puzzle without the box and I finally saw what the picture was supposed to be and all of a sudden I kind of knew, oh, I can put the rest of those pieces in place and things just started to make sense. Mm, brilliant. So um, during that time, and you know, it was a real dark time of waiting for something to change for a long time, can you see how God was refining you or changing you or speaking to you? Yeah, I've been thinking about that question and thinking it's probably best to just ask like you and Dave who have kind of seen me through the whole process how that's gone. Um, but I was actually thinking this week in particular has really highlighted for me the ways that God has refined me. Um, as Libby was saying, I finished up my job this week and I'm now in another season of waiting and um, don't have a new job to go to yet. And Whereas previously that would have had me completely questioning my entire existence, seeking for control again, and just trying to, again, yeah, wrestle with God as to what was happening next. I have a kind of peace and contentedness and a trust in him that he knows what he's doing. And I also have a trust in myself that I've never had before. Um, and especially in the kind of hardest part of my journey, I would often pray, God, there must be another way that you could be teaching me whatever it is you're trying to teach me because this just sucks. Um, but I've realized recently that if 
I was able to go back, and if the only way I would get to be the person I am today is to go through it all again, I would, because I don't say that lightly either, because I am the most me I've ever been, and I feel like I can finally say that I'm becoming the person God's always intended me to be, mm. which, yeah, is an incredible thing. Thank you, Jess. Should we give Jess a <laughs> So Dave's just going to uh, help us to respond now to some of that. Maybe it, some of what we've talked about tonight has really resonated with you. Maybe even Jess's story has as well. Uh, and so Dave's just going to help us to think about what we do with that now. <laughs> 